sing You turned off the alarm so they don't ring I don't know where we are in the grand scheme of things Welcome to Mondays with Millie, a podcast about the past with real relevance to the present day. I'm your host, Phil Cristofaro, and in this podcast series, I interview my 90-year-old mother-in-law, Doreen, who I affectionately call Millie, about her ordinary life and the extraordinary events which influenced it. Millie has witnessed firsthand some incredible things across 10 decades. This is a personal history which gives us some perspective about life's triumphs and challenges. episode number five, season eight of Mondays with Millie. In episode five, Millie talks to us about travelling 20,000 kilometres, what sometimes happens along the way, and the best bits about being there. But there's a point at which that distance becomes insurmountable. Please enjoy this episode of Mondays with Millie. I don't know where we're going, but God, it's a start. I just want to be counting stars with you. Welcome to episode number five, season eight of Mondays with Millie. Uh, in this episode, I'm going to talk to Millie about her last trip or one of her last couple of trips to Australia, really, and her memories of that. Um, now, Millie, can I just ask you, how many trips did you make to Australia over the, the whole time? 
do you think it was? Well, I believe it was 10 trips altogether. I was thinking it was nine, but then when I got counting, I thought, no, no, there was another trip there. It was the 10th trip was my last one. Mm. Ten trips. And John, John made six trips with me before he died. Hmm. So a lot of trips to Australia. Yes. <laughs> um, now, you know, people are often off put by coming all the way. Did you find it? I mean, you obviously found it harder towards your last trip, but was it, did you have to, how did you prepare yourself for such a big journey like that? Did you, was it well, hard for um, you? Did it get harder? Uh, it got a little bit harder, but um, I was very fortunate. We both, John and I were, because the first trip we made, we just travelled in an ordinary flight, you know, seat. And then... The second trip we made was for Kirsten's wedding. And no, it wasn't. That was the third trip. That was right. Third trip. And we decided we were coming business class. Well, after that, of course, we were fortunate. We always came business class. And um, it was it was well worth it. And I do know a lot of people can't afford that. And uh, But... You know, we we felt it was worth giving up holidays in other areas so that we could come business class to Australia. Um, and that was very comfortable. We always came with Emirates until my last trip, of course. I wasn't with Emirates, and that was probably the problem. <laughs> but um, well, tell so us about we, what we didn't. Yeah, what happened in that? In trip? my last trip. Mm. Well, Tom wasn't living with me then. But he said to me, the prices had started to go up quite a bit. And he said, I think you're paying too much. He said, you know, if you shop around, you can get a cheaper flight, even business class. So he looked things up for me and he said, oh, there's one here for Royal Brunei. But you have to change at Heathrow as well. So it was Heathrow, Hong Kong and then Melbourne. So um, anyway, I went for this and that was fine. But when I arrived in Manchester, they said, uh, you have to collect your luggage at Heathrow and transfer it yourself because they're using Monarch Airlines. And I said, well, no, I've not been used to this. The luggage goes straight through. No, no, they said, they're not, um, Royal Brunei are not part of the One World consortium whatever that meant so um i thought well there's an hour and a half time so i'll be fine however the plane was th uh, 30 minutes late taking off that dropped to an hour i still thought i was all right until i got to heathrow of course i had to wait for my luggage coming off and then i, f I managed to find a trolley I'd no idea where to go next. I'd never been to Heathrow before. Eventually, someone said, oh, um, no, no, you have to get on the train. I didn't even know there was a train there. I was quite ignorant. So I had to run quite a long way with this luggage on the trolley, a big suitcase and a, a, small, uh, a small one. And um, I eventually arrived just in time for the train, got on the train. That took a while. But when I got off the train at the other end, 
there were no there were no uh, trolleys, so I had to carry both cases. Well, one of them I I dragged it along, you know. So there I was dragging these two cases with me, and it was such a long way, a really long way to get to the the check-in centre. And I was watching the time all the time, and I was running. I knew I was late. And by the time I arrived, I'd started to have an asthma attack. Well, I got to the check-in, and it was right at the far end, of course, as well. And I, I couldn't speak by that time. I just pushed my paperwork onto the desk. And the, the, I remember the lady looked at me, and she, she called out, someone get a wheelchair for this lady. So they sat me in a wheelchair, and she just said, uh, oh dear, she said, um, you, you, uh, you've just made it with three minutes to spare before the checking closed. So, and then there, there was a discussion with one or two people and they said, well, look, if you can, if you can come round, you know, if you can bring yourself round in the next 20 minutes, we can take you. But if you can't come round by then, you, we can't put you on this flight. Well, of course, I had my inhaler with me and I was used to doing this, so I was fine. And But they, they said they'd left me in the wheelchair. Well, they must have decided then that I was going to need the wheelchair all the way because um, when we got to Hong Kong, there was a wheelchair waiting for me. But that was pretty awful as well because... Uh, the, you know, I, I don't know if you've been to Hong Kong recently, but they ha they literally hounded us all together as though we were animals, really. Everybody on that flight who was in transit wasn't allowed to go and walk around the airport. Uh, and there were all these um, official people there herding us forward all together. And they took us through this long passage and out at the other end, and we had to wait in this enclosure. We couldn't go and look at shops or anything. So we sat there for three hours. That was pretty rough. But coming back, uh, Kirsten came to the airport and made sure that my luggage was going to go all the way to Manchester. And uh, they said, oh, yes, that was fine. <laughs> but when I got to Heathrow, my connecting flight was no longer available because Monarch had either sold out or liquidated or something. So they had to find me another flight. So I was there four hours waiting for them to find me another flight. And while I was there, of course, they sat me down, in, still in a wheelchair, uh, and they sat me amongst this flight of people who were going out to um, New Delhi. So there were all these Indian people sat there and there was a, I think there was a bit of a flu epidemic. Everyone was coughing, sneezing and whatnot, you know. So by the time I got home, I was in a, a pretty sad state. <laughs> how, how that old was were an you? epic journey. <laughs> how old were you at that point? 83. <laughs> yes, that was, that was my last journey. Seven years ago. And how did you know? When 84, you, seven when, years ago. But how how did you know it was your last journey? How did you? Well, I didn't then, but I was quite ill when I came home. I had pneumonia when I got home, and, uh, well, within a few days, 
and I didn't go in hospital then, but the doctor, Dr. Priestley came to see me and he said, look, you, you really shouldn't be doing this anymore. You know that it's, it, it really is too much for you. So um, I thought about it and I thought, well, perhaps he's right. But, you know, I've been very lucky because Kirsten has come to see me and some of all of you have come to see me, actually. But Kirsten's seen me every year some, since and sometimes twice a year. So, you know, it, it didn't until until the last well, until last year when of course she, she was due to come in May and she couldn't come because of the lockdown. So until then I've seen an awful lot of all of you. Mm. Yeah, we have been lucky. We have been we lucky. Have. But it is a long way and it's interesting, <laughs> you know, because everybody's got you know, I think the longer you travel the more chance you have of complications along the way, don't you? you know. That's the only that's the only time I ever flew where things didn't go didn't go to uh, you know as they should have done. I mean, there was there was a time, of course, wasn't there, when I, I wanted to. I had this little antique stool. Do you remember? And uh, Neve used to play with it, so I wanted to bring it over. I'd, I'd embroidered a cover for the for the for the seat, and uh, I wanted her to have it. So Kirsten said, "Well, look, Mum, if if you bring anything like that, you really must declare it. You know that if they find out, it you can be heavily fined." So I put it in my uh, my small bag, you know, that you take into the aircraft, and coming through, I'm sat in this wheelchair, having asked for help because. Of course, my eyesight had begun to fail a bit by then. And um, so I came through and um, I, I got the small bag across my, my knees and the the porter that was pushing my wheelchair, he'd picked my big bag up for me. So that was very good. So as we came through customs, this customs office suddenly appeared in front of us, you see. So we came to a full stop and I said... I have a stool in my bag. And and he looked at me and he looked at the porter behind me and I said, it's a hundred years old. Well, do you know, this man never spoke to me at all. He just rolled his eyes and sort of clicked his head sideways, indicating that we should move on. And we did. And and the porter said, oh, dear, just like that, oh, dear, yes. But it didn't occur, and, and when I met Kirsten, I said I, I, I said, I don't know what the fuss was about. There was no trouble at all. I said, you know, he didn't even want to look in my bag for the stool. And she said, what? What? And it was only then I realised he, he, he misunderstood. <laughs> Yeah. So, so you you're a bit you're pretty good at dodging bullets, aren't you? You're <laughs> merely the bullet dodger. I think that's <laughs> you have dodged a few, definitely have. Um, now, when when you would come to Australia, what you know, you must like. I know when I when we go to America or go to England, I'm really. Maybe I'm just tuned this way, but I'm really aware of the little differences. 
you know oh just, yeah just the mm. small things you know you go to an english speaking country and it's a lot of things are the same but what what little differences did you know did you notice when you used to come over here uh well well things that weren't differences were the the amazing number of english na- and scottish names of 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 uh, districts well one you live in for a start you know Strathmore, and uh, lots of um, in, uh, English and Scottish names that you use over there for for buildings and and street names and districts and things. Uh, but um, differences, well, uh, well, it's a whole different way of life, isn't it? You know, um, when when you had a very 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 hot time when I was there, and Kirsten said, "Come on." Uh, Get up, Mum. We're we're going. We're going. Um, where was it? She said we were going to the um, the shopping mall. And I said, "Oh, it's it's too hot for shopping." No, no. She said that's how we're cool. She said um, Phil's already, uh, uh, you know, he's already cooling the car down for us, and we're everything's fine. And do you remember we all went? We had we did some shopping. We had lunch there. And it was beautifully cool inside. Then we went to the to see a film at the cinema, and then we did some more shopping, and then we had dinner there. And it was nearly nine o'clock at night by the time we came out. Didn't <laughs> want to leave. Yeah. And it was still hot. <laughs> it was still hot. Yeah, incredible. But um, what are the cultural things that you would notice that were? different i know i know my family gatherings were always really noisy i know that yes lovely family gatherings yes because whenever we came everybody entertained us in turn you know all your sisters and your mother everybody your mother your mother used to take us to the to the cinema and she drove that large car didn't she and she was so tiny you could only see the top of her head over the <laughs> over the wheel and I know she scared my fa- uh, she scared John to pieces really because we came out of the underground uh, cinema car park and there must have been a big bump in the road she was coming out so fast she drove fast didn't she and it, the car sort of he hit his head on the roof you know it went bump over this thing and she was crazy really a crazy driver you know. Uh, but yeah, she she took us to the to the cinema two or three times. Um, we enjoyed that, <laughs> I must admit. <laughs> Apart from the ride in the t- oh, do you remember when you you took all of it? You see, your mother's birthday was close to mine, wasn't it? Mm, yeah. And one time when we were over, you you took us to on the train. I don't know what you call it—the train that goes through the city uh, in a circle. And we ate on the train. It was like a, oh, a gourmet a night. Yeah, it was um, the tram car restaurant. It was a beautiful... The tram car restaurant, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. So it was a birthday treat for both of us. And I remember we you you part of oh, the um, the gambling place. What's it called? The oh, Crown Casino. Yeah. Crown Casino. And. Uh, you said, well, we're going to have trouble parking, you know. And your mother said, oh, it's quite all right. I have a pass into the Crown Casino car park, you know. And you said, how did you get that? And she said, 
Oh, well, I only became a member for the parking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, sure. Mm, they knew so, and by it by name. <laughs> and it started near there, didn't it? Well, we had to walk through the Crown Casino to get from the car park outside towards the, where the tram was. And we're walking past these... Um, machines all these rows and rows of slot machines and john said stop for a moment and he said i wonder what you do with these so she said oh you put coins in. have you any coins and so he put his hand in his pocket brought out some coins and she said that's it so she put the coins in pressed the button and she said you've lost and that was <laughs> and that was it and I saw the expression on his face and I thought, it's all right, he's not going to become a gambler. <laughs> <laughs> she cured him of any... Of any she cured um, him. Yeah. <laughs> she did. But, you know, we, we did have a look round afterwards, didn't we, just to see what was going on. There were cinemas in there. There were restaurants. It was absolutely amazing. And they'd got a big board with horse racing on, hadn't they? Mm-hmm. And all these people were sat there watching this this horse racing thing. But I was going to say about being entertained by your family. Uh, we've had some lovely parties, haven't we? Barbecues and things like that with them, you know. I mean, all your sisters, four sisters, and they all entertained us. And we stayed. We stayed with uh, Jenny and Ray, didn't we? And that was out at... Um, was that out at the... Near the great, no, Lakes Lakes Entrance. Yeah, yeah. No, before entrance. Lakes Entrance, they were at another place where there was a huge lake. I'm afraid I, I've forgotten what that was called. Lake Bunga, maybe? Yeah, before the house they first built, before they moved out to the bigger house they built at Lakes Entrance. That was lovely. He he took his, um, oh, Ray was very... That Bairnsdale, yeah. Bairnsdale, yes. Mm, mm, mm. Um and Ray took us um, out for the day and he hired a boat and his mother came with us. If you, um, That was a lovely day. And um, he took us out on this huge lake. And then we went to, um, we went to a park where they had um, alligators. And oh, that was scary, yes. He took us to this alligator place. And it was, you know... Every time we went, there was such, well, we were just made so welcome by all the members of your family. Hmm. It was just amazing, you know. Well, that's because you're royalty. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I did think I was royalty at one time. I mean, um, um, you know, one occasion when Kirsten took me down to, um, now where was it we went to? along the peninsula. Um, Sorrento. Oh, Sorrento, yes. And we were shopping, as we as we did, you know, going from shop to shop. And we wanted to go into a shop called Suzanne's. And there were these two guys stood in the doorway. I thought they were, they looked like bored husbands waiting for the wives. But they were, they were right in the doorway and you couldn't get past them. So I just said, excuse me, <laughs> in that tone. And they moved to one side to allow me to go walk through and Kirsten go with me. 
and there was this young lady in the shop and um, uh, she finished paying for things, you know, and, and then she started to go out. Very pleasant young lady, just in a T-shirt and jeans. And uh, and as she went out, the, the, the lady behind the counter got all excited and she just said to us, oh, just a moment, just a moment. Uh, and she, she picked up the phone and she was talking to someone. And she's saying, you won't believe it, you won't believe it. I've just had Princess Mary in here. <laughs> and it turned out these two guys, of course, were her protectors. <laughs> but they moved to one side when I gave them their orders, you know. Because <laughs> well, they, they knew somebody of equal rank was coming in, that's why. <laughs> and, of course, Princess Mary is uh, married to the Crown Prince of Denmark, isn't she? Mm, yep. Yes. Yep. Lovely, lovely, lovely girl. Yes, yeah, but very ordinary. Mm. Tasmanian. I she think. was born in Tasmania. Yes, mm. Mm. yes. So, so when you when you came over on your last trip, you're quite unwell for a while, weren't you? Like it really knocked you about going, yes, coming, I think it was and, that then, and then going back again. Um, mm. Is it? Did it sort of make you, I mean, you know, you'd come for big blocks of time, wouldn't you? You'd come for five or six weeks at a time. So yes, make, I did, yeah. Make the most of it. Yes. Um, and always when I came over, Kirsten managed to get a few days away and take me for a special trip, just the two of us, you know. took all the lonely days and you made them sing. You turned off the alarm so they don't ring I don't know where we are in the grand scheme of things But I just want to be hugging you tonight Life did throw everything that it could throw Your face in the morning, it just glowed Let's get in this car, let's face the sky and go I just wanna be counting stars with you Includes episode 5, season 8 of Mondays with Millie. In the next episode, we talk hot air ballooning and potato cakes. Or are they potato scallops? Look forward to your company again next week.
Mondays with Millie is an e-learn production, editing and dodgy guitar work by yours truly, Phil Cristofaro, vocal work by Millie's granddaughter, Neve. I don't know if you know, but I want to tell you so, you're the wisest funny one that I'll ever know. I don't know about you. But I love us as a two Find me a wild road And I'll name it after you You took all the lonely days And you made them sing You turned off the alarm So they won't ring I don't know where we are 